This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. From this point forward until the end of the end, imposters and seducers and evil men within the church will grow worse and worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. And I think that's in the realm of politics. I think it's in the realm of secular world and certainly in the realm of the Christian world. There are more false ideas and deceptions out there than ever before in history, and they're more easily accessible. The serpent first deceived humans when he manipulated and deceived Eve. The enemy has been looking for ways to deceive us in various ways since the beginning of time. Today, Pastor Josh talks about how Satan uses various methods to bring you down. People in the secular world may deny the existence of God or create false gods in order to deceive you. Even in our Christian world, false teachers can lead you astray from Jesus. But with God's help, you can identify and ruin the enemy's plans. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 as he begins his message, False Doctrine. We are going to talk today about the identification of false doctrine and its dangers. Now, you have heard that in order to most effectively come against error, the best thing you can do to know the counterfeit is to study the genuine article or the authentic piece, right? If you really want to know how to identify error, you need to study the truth. You need to bury it in, in your heart and keep it in your mind. But also, in addition to that, sometimes it's good to take a moment to study, well, what are the identifying markers? How does the enemy deceive? Right? Paul said that we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices or his tactics. We have to identify them. We have to see what are the differences and where does it come out. And so we are going to discuss that. Where there is a truth, the enemy is always trying to plant a counter-truth or a lie or a manipulation of the truth to deceive someone away from the truth. Uh, have you guys ever seen the movie, the old movie, Ben-Hur? Anyone seen that? I remember watching that as a young boy. My parents showed it to me, and I just remember the guy getting run over by the chariot. That's all I remember as a young boy getting there. But when I watched it later, there was this one scene where Masala, the Roman tribune, was talking to Sextus as he's entering into this Roman-occupied land of Judea. And Sextus was telling him, you know, these Jews, they have this faith in God, and they have these ideals that cause them, that fuel their struggle against the Roman Empire. He's like, you're never going to get that out of them. And to which uh, Masala replied to him, you asked how to fight an idea. I will tell you how with another idea. And that is the tactic of the enemy. Satan is one of the best idea makers and creators. He is the master of taking truth that God has established as the absolute truth manipulating it, causing people to question it, taking it out of context, and creating another idea or another story contrary to God's. And I think he does this and uses this in his arsenal of deception because deception is the one thing that can keep people from the freedom that God desires for them. We've said it before. Jesus told us, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Make you free, set you free. 
So there is one hindrance between a person's bondage under the blindness of their sin and their freedom to be who they were created to be, and that is knowing the truth or being deceived. And the only way to be free is to know the truth. If we fail to seek the truth, then we will, by nature, become enslaved to error. And we know John 10.10 tells us that the thief, or Satan, who is a liar from the beginning, Jesus said, comes only to three things. You know them, right? Steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And we know that Satan's first false doctrine was given in the Garden of Eden. It was a manipulation of God's word attached to a reinterpretation of God's word, attached to the placement of doubt in God's intentions towards Eve, that all of these things together, oh, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Oh, what about me? Is God trying to keep something from me? That had Eve finally buy into this thought that I can... My will and my desires and my wisdom and my thought processes can usurp God's. And I can go my own way and be better off than if I submitted to God. And we all know what happened. As soon as she went her own way, that the blinders were removed and the deception was exposed for what it was. And sin and death entered into the world until this very time. And so I'm going to focus on one verse of our passage, verse 13. 2 Timothy 2, where Paul warns that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. What do they do? Deceiving and being deceived. I want you to notice a couple things. First, he says evil men and imposters. So there's an evil intention in their heart, but the word imposters is interesting. It's a word for seducer. Actually, the root Greek word means to howl. Interesting that they come with seductive reasoning. They come howling out the right language. They come with emotional pulls and charismatic conversations. But in their heart, it's intended to cause people to come away from the simplicity of Christ. And Paul says that they themselves are being deceived, that they are deceiving others, sometimes intentionally, many times intentionally. But here's what strikes me is that Paul says that they will grow worse and worse. Now, we know that there were significant problems in Paul's time, in the apostles' time, with Gnostic heresy and with the Judaizers who were coming into the church and trying to get the Christians to go back and revert to the law of Moses and the legalistic system. But Paul, in 2,000 years, if Paul makes this precedent, by the way, from this point forward until the end of the end, imposters and seducers and evil men within the church, will grow worse and worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And I think that's in the realm of politics. I think it's in the realm of secular world and certainly in the realm of the Christian world. There are more false ideas and deceptions out there than ever before in history, and they're more easily accessible than ever before in history. And so this is why we must talk about the truth and the identification of false doctrine. Now, I do want to say this. We must carry a balanced approach. On one end, as Christians, we are not to be gullible, or Paul would say it like this, don't be tossed around to and fro by every wind of passing doctrine that comes. Oh, this feels good. That sounds good. Well, he says he believes in Jesus. Well, I really like what he said in this one part of the book, and just be swept away with error because of how one feels. But on the other end, God has not called us to be doctrine witch hunters, 
You know, we're going to go find every false little doctrine and we're going to go pluck up everybody and we're going to make it our mission to call out everyone, whether we know their context or not. But I did see a 30-second YouTube clip where they said this one thing, and so I know that they're a false teacher. We need to be careful not to label someone heretic, false teacher. Not that we can't, we just need to be very careful about the evidence that is weighed and the consistency and the teaching before we just go around making assessments on people and causing potential division. And so I want to basically take heed to Jude's uh, call to the church. In Jude verses three and four, he says, "'Beloved, while I was diligent to write to you "'concerning our common salvation, "'I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you.'" It's a very strong word, exhort to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, and then why? He tells us why do we need to contend earnestly for the faith. For certain men have crept in, say it with me, unnoticed. It wasn't obvious. They didn't come in with a pitchfork and horns out of there. Hey, we're here to deceive you, church. No, it was subtle. Who were long marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who have turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean they necessarily deny Jesus with their words, but certainly with the fruit of their ministries and their lives, they deny the Lord Jesus. The word contend means to fight. It's a strong military term. It means to endeavor with strenuous zeal. We are to be zealous to defend the purity of the gospel that brings hope and salvation to all mankind. And that is when the gospel is defiled by false teaching, sometimes we have to make note of it and make ourselves aware of it. So I will cover today's topic in three areas that I've broken down when it comes to the thought of false doctrine. You might want to jot these down in your notes. We'll get a little in-depth here. Uh, Number one, we're going to talk about non-Christian doctrine. That is doctrine that is evident to be without Christ, Christ Christless doctrine. Whether that includes world religions that are not centered on Christ, human, secular humanism, the philosophies of this age, atheism. Yes, atheism is a religion, by the way. It holds to a credo, it has its own theology, and it pursues its own ends to certain questions, which I'll talk about later. And then number two, we're going to talk about pseudo-Christian doctrine. I'm going to call it that because it's doctrine that comes in the name of Jesus, but it presents a different Jesus or a different gospel than what Paul and the apostolic authority in the word of God has presented to us. This is going to cover topics like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian science, etc., etc. And then we're going to finally talk about what I'll just title cancerous Christian doctrines, or doctrines that seem to have seeped into the quote-unquote evangelical church and infects the church with unbiblical ideas, leading people off course from Christ into wacky and weird things. We're going to talk about the so-called prosperity gospel, hyper-grace, universalism, emergent theology, all of these sorts of things. And please, please come. I mean, I realize that we might step on some toes here. But again, I want to make something clear. This series, it's not my intention to mock, to jeer, or to judge anyone's salvation. I simply want to present you with ideas that are rooted in the word of God and leave it to you to discern whether or not these other ideas are in line 
with the truth that you have been exposed to. I want to humbly suggest as well that none of us have the perfect doctrine. We are always learning, always growing. But that doesn't mean that God hasn't made certain things clear. We live in an age where no one wants to make definitive truth statements. And that's because they've been deceived by the enemy. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. You can't really say anything is the truth. And of course, because there is a truth that God has manifested to us, it's obvious why the enemy would want to get us in a place culturally where we just deny that there is any single truth or source of truth. It's obvious. And so we are going to look here at first, number one, the non-Christian doctrines. Scripture here that I will go over the next few weeks as well. You might want to jot it down. Listen to Paul's concern. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Uh, True or false? Is that pretty direct language? I would say yes. I would say Paul is saying, you as a church, Corinth, you are letting people in who are bringing a different version of Jesus, a different version of the gospel, and a different Holy Spirit that you are experiencing than the one that you have been taught and that you have received. And instead of standing up against the lie, you boast about how you're so broad and open that you accept all these different ideas. And you welcome them with open arms. And he said, here's why I'm scared of that, because you are now potentially going to be deceived by the same serpent that deceived Eve. It's powerful language. And so in this first topic, we need to talk about the obvious non-Christian or Christless or antichrist Doctrines that exist that are leading people spiritually astray. Let's take a flyover if we can. If you have come to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him, which is his own claim, it's logical to say that any system of belief that is absent of those truths is a path of destruction for the person who follows it. That's not an unkind statement. It's just a logical statement. If there is one way of truth, then the other, area, other ways that don't contain the truth are, are ways of destruction or error. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul declares to us the foundation of the gospel. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you have received, and in which you stand, by which you are also saved." If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul says, I have delivered to you this gospel. But if you do not hold fast to the word that I preached to you, and you're led astray or deceived, then you're in a place of danger and error. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I have received. Paul received it from God, not from man. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. This is where salvation starts and ends, that Jesus came, God come down in human flesh, that he sacrificially offered his life on the cross for sinful mankind, 
that he physically rose again to ascend to heaven to make intercession for us, where, and that he will come back again one day, and that salvation can be obtained, forgiveness of sins can be received by faith in his sacrifice. That is the core of the gospel. This is what we call the exclusivity of Jesus. Can you say that with me? The exclusivity of Jesus. Or we say that Jesus is exclusive in his claim to be the only way to God that there is none other outside of Christ. And this is not simply my opinion. This is based on the statements of Jesus himself. I mentioned it, John 14, 6. You can jot it down again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. John 3.18, you know John 3.16, but Jesus continues that thought, and he says, he who does not believe, listen, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In other words, Jesus says, outside of my name, my sacrifice, what I have accomplished, there is only condemnation for the rejection of the truth that is in Christ. And some would argue Well, that seems a bit narrow-minded for today, that Jesus claims to be so exclusive. And I would would answer that, yes. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go by it. Narrow is the path that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And this should not offend you. I want you to think logically, if you feel this tug of offense... By Jesus saying, if you want heaven, if you want forgiveness of sins, if you want peace with God, if you want redemption, I am the way and I have made the way. If you feel offense by that, I would ask you why. Because is not the nature of truth exclusive by nature? Are you offended that I say two plus two is four? Well, if you think so, I think that's fairly bigoted. Jesus' statements regarding himself create what's theologically known as the great trilemma. Jesus was either a liar, or he was a lunatic, or he was the living son of God. And you can't go too far down the path of the first two options, liar and lunatic, without running into some serious logical fallacies and roadblocks. Trust me, many people smarter than you have attempted to debunk Jesus, only in the end to bow their knee to the reality of who he is. Yet this is why Satan has created so many alternatives. Back to our topic. I believe that Satan knows that people don't want to bow to the truth. And so if he gives them plenty of other alternative options that feed their own selfish desires and their own attempt to get to God and doesn't really mess with what they want, then he can deceive people out of finding the path of truth. One stat measured that there are approximately 4,200 religions worldwide. 84% of the human population adheres to some sort of religious or spiritual belief. Now, I believe it's actually 100% because I believe human beings were created to worship. God said that he has written eternity into their hearts. All people have this uh, innate desire to answer questions about life and death and eternity and themselves and God. Uh, even if they pursue those answers through so-called atheism. But here's the point. People are hungry for some sort of interaction with the spiritual. 
And that is not because they're a higher form of evolution. That's because they were created in the image of God. It's always going to separate and make them unique from the animal world, this desire to understand the divine. And when it comes to all the multiple alternative pathways to God, here's one of the main arguments I hear from a lot of people. And let me know, have you heard this? Well, religion is humanity's attempt to worship the same God in different ways. How many of you have heard that before? All these religions, they're just, they're trying, they're all, they all have the same, they have fundamental similarities and superficial differences, right? And when they say that, what they mean is, well, all relate, we just want to do good to each other, you know, follow the golden rule, be the best person you can be, and all these sorts of things. But here's what I would argue. When you study religions, you find the opposite is true that religions have fundamental differences and superficial similarities, not the other way around. Not fundamental similarities and superficial differences. They have fundamental differences and superficial similarities. So let me quickly go through four fundamental differences regarding Christianity and comparative religions. Now, the first fundamental difference I would say is regarding the nature of God. Or the question, who is God? Hinduism claims 330 million different deities. Now, they're not that far off. I mean, there are demonic personalities that mimic these deities, these gods, so to speak. Buddhism does not believe in an eternal deity at all, but a sort of self-salvation from the reality of suffering. Islam believes in one all-powerful creator, yet he is impersonable and unknowable. You might have heard the phrase shouted out, Allahu Akbar. It means in, in that language, the Islamic statement, God is great. But in all of Allah's attributes, in his 99 different names mentioned in the Quran, God being love or loving is not mentioned one single time. And yet in the Bible, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says the fundamental nature of God is that God is love. The New Age thought follows the belief that we are our own gods. Secular humanism declares that we are our own gods who will make our own salvation for humanity. Yet Christianity declares that there is one all-powerful creator who is moral and just and at the same time personal and knowable who interacts with his creation, who is love and who is justice and who is mercy at the same time, who interacted with his creation by coming down himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, as I just list some very basics to you, do those sound like the same fundamental gods to you? For someone to say, oh, all religions are fundamentally the same, and it's everyone's own path to God, but it ultimately gets to God, is, in my mind, the same thing as saying, God has an identity crisis. He doesn't know who he is. No, God is not like people. God is not confused about how he identifies. It's not like, I, today I identify as Allah. Today I identify as Jehovah. Today I identify... God is not confused. Just as I imagine you might be a little insulted if... Everyone in the church in their conversations with others started talking about you and describing you in ways that had no similarities to any of your physical or, or personality traits or attributes. Why would we think that God can be talked to about the same way, especially in that he has revealed himself? 
Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, we learn about how the Apostle Paul mentored a young pastor friend who was working to reach the hearts of the people he was pastoring. Paul was in Rome at the time, and persecution was no stranger to either of these men. Despite all of that, Paul trusted God to use him where he was. He encouraged Timothy to continue spreading the gospel message. We hope today's teaching has inspired you to continue going forward, even when things get hard. God will take care of all your needs. He'll use your gifts and abilities right where you're at, so you can stand strong to love others well. Will you place your faith in God? If you're checking this whole God thing out for the first time and haven't come to know Jesus as your personal Savior, that's okay. But please, please go to TheAscendingLife.com and click on the Know Jesus tab. There you'll be pointed in the right direction to know more about how much God loves you. Here at Grace Church, we want your heart to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to hear more messages from Pastor Josh? Hop online and visit our website, TheAscendingLife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's TheAscendingLife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. But that's it for now. Will you make plans to join us again? We hope so, because there's more to learn about God. So be sure to tune in next time on The Ascending Life. We're reaching up, we're pressing